This is ReachMD, and I am your host, Dr. Renee Allen, and with me today is Dr. Jocelyn Slaughter-Moore, practicing OBGYN in private practice at Harris Healthcare for Women and attending at Clareview Regional Medical Center and Eastside Medical Center in Georgia. Dr. Slaughter-Moore, welcome to ReachMD. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Allen. I'm so excited to be here. Today we will be discussing counseling the perimenopausal patient to prepare for the change. In a recent article you published, you discussed the visible changes that a woman goes through from early on in life, from puberty to womanhood. I really love the way you describe this process, Jocelyn. Can you share that with our listeners? I think that as women, we have many changes that we go through, and the most visible is puberty. We go from being a child with a childlike body to around the age between 12 and 15, developing breasts, developing hips, of course, becoming taller. And one of the biggest things that we do is we start our periods. These are huge things that a lot of people can see and know, and it defines us as women. And physically, it's defined it is our bodies becoming ready to bear children and becoming able to physically bear children. However, the last change that we go through of menopause, people don't really see and they don't know that you're going through menopause. And it's not greeted with fanfare and excitement. It's usually done privately and nobody knows that a woman is going through this, but it is a huge emotional and physical change that a woman is going through, just like puberty. This was one of the things that was very near and dear to me because I have several patients who go through this alone without any help and any knowledge that what they're going through is normal or abnormal. Yes, in your article, you describe this as the change that no one can see. I thought that was a brilliant way to describe this phase in every woman's life. So having said that, when should a doctor start to ask their patients about menopause? Traditionally, most women will go through menopause between the ages of 45 and 55. However, this may vary from woman to woman. A physician should ask a woman about menopausal symptoms, usually around the time they reach 40. Um, And those symptoms can be a light discussion about hot flashes, vaginal dryness, mood swings, or irritability. Unfortunately, most women, not most, but a lot of women, after they complete childbearing, stop going to OBGYN, and they usually see a primary care doctor or internist. And sometimes these questions aren't asked or they may assume that they are going to a gynecologist. So if you're not a gynecologist, you should still ask about menopausal symptoms because they're very important to a woman's health. And if anything's abnormal, it needs to be acted on immediately. Can you discuss a little bit further, Jocelyn, what the symptoms are of menopause, typical common symptoms that a woman will begin to experience? Absolutely. Hot flashes or the quick feeling of hot and sweating and going away pretty quickly are the most common form of the symptoms that people associate with menopause. Usually they happen at night. Sometimes they happen during the day. And a woman will, all of a sudden, for no reason at all, start to feel very hot. She'll start to sweat. And it's very uncomfortable. And for some women, it can be 
debilitating to their jobs, their lives, things that they want to do. Another symptom is vaginal dryness. Because of the decline of estrogen, the vagina doesn't have as much moisture, and this can be problematic just for the feeling. Women sometimes feel uncomfortable in their vaginas. Also, sexual intercourse sometimes is difficult, and women may not want to have sex because of the uncomfortableness of intercourse. Also, the decrease in estrogen may have women have an increased risk of urinary tract infections because of the thin lining of the urethra. And also, menopausal, because of the fluctuation of hormones, some women do feel mood swings and a lot of irritability around the change of life. And one other big thing is with this change of life, most women, their periods start to become less frequent. So they may skip a month, they may skip two months, and then they may stop having periods altogether. However, some women start to have increased bleeding, heavier periods, or bleeding in between periods, and that can be a sign of perimenopause. If you are just tuning in, you are listening to Reach MD, and I am your host, Dr. Renee Allen, and I am speaking with Dr. Jocelyn Slaughter-Moore, and we are discussing menopause and counseling patients on menopause. Jocelyn, what are the treatment options besides hormones that can help women with hot flashes and some of the other symptoms that you've already discussed? Well, first of all, once a woman is definitely diagnosed with they have either completely gone through menopause or that we know that they are in the process of going through menopause. Again, if a woman has not had a period for 12 months, then she's considered to be in menopause. And so I did want to at some point discuss when that might be abnormal or things that can be abnormal from that. But for the main symptoms of hot flashes, vaginal dryness, other than hormones, there are medications and some medications that are actually FDA approved to treat hot flashes and menopausal symptoms. There are antidepressant medications, some of them called SSRIs or selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. These are known to reduce the effects of hot flashes. There is also medications like gabapentin and clonidine and selective estrogen receptor modulators that can be used to treat the effects of hot flashes. Most commonly, a lot of OBGYNs are very familiar with the prescribing different types of SSRIs or clonidine, but you have to make sure that these medications don't interact with any other medications the patient is having. There are some natural remedies that people sometimes do, soy, herbal soy, and black cohosh. A lot of women have good experiences with these medications in reducing hot flashes. Also, external medications for the symptom of that of lubrication and vaginal dryness. If that is some a woman's own symptom, using um, lubricant um, during sexual intercourse, um, vaginal moisturizers are all ways to combat specifically the issue of vaginal dryness. And of course, trying to dress in layers, stay hydrated, and be aware that you might have a hot flash to just physically try to cool down is also a way. Jocelyn, can you discuss or touch on a little bit more about the benefits and risks of these treatment options? And even, can you go into a little further about bioidentical hormones? With the hormonal risk, you want to replenish someone's estrogen. That specifically, as we call HRT or hormonal replacement therapy, has risk in itself, and the physician has to determine if the risks outweigh the benefits. Usually these risks are very small, but there are increased risk of breast cancer. There is 
a slightly increased risk of stroke um, with hormonal replacement therapy. And a lot of physicians are very nervous about giving a woman hormone replacement therapy because of these very, very slight minimal risks. However, if a patient is healthy and doesn't have extreme risk factors, then they may be a candidate for hormonal replacement therapy as long as you discuss with them these risks and make sure they're up to date on their health maintenance. The herbal medications like black cohosh and soy, these have not been studied well and they're not what we call FDA approved. I mean, they sometimes may interact with other, other medications. So if your patient is taking this, we want to know if they are taking it, how often they're taking it, and if they notice any results. But they're not as studied well. So as physicians, we don't prescribe these herbal medicines. The selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, the gabapentin, the clonidine, the selective estrogen receptor modulators, these are all medications that also carry their own risk. Specifically, clonidine is actually a blood pressure medication, but we know that we can use it to reduce a woman's hot flashes. So, again, if you're putting patients on these medications, you want to monitor their blood pressures. Specifically, bioidentical hormones. This is a topic that's been brought up frequently. Patients now recently are requesting bioidentical hormones. And basically, the discussion about identical hormones is that when we give a patient a um, traditional hormone um, of estrogen, especially one that a lot of people are aware of, like Premarin, this is derived from, and I know it sounds a little crude, from horse urine. It's extracted and put into pill form or cream form, and that is how people, the non-bioidentical, however, bioidentical hormones are plant-derived, and um, patients feel, and some clinicians feel that these are better for you to do a plant-derived medication to mimic estrogen. However, these medications, there haven't been as many studies on these medications, but there are several that are on the market that are bioidentical hormones that are routinely used in patients. And you may know some of these medicines like Estrace, Estragel, Climera. These are medicines that are bioidentical, and they're also able to be monitored a little more effectively in the body. So if you're interested in prescribing them, definitely research them. You can figure out which ones are specifically bioidentical and which ones are not. All of them are considered safe, but the bioidenticals haven't been researched as effectively. I think the bioidentical hormones is very much a hot topic right now and is very timely. Hopefully, uh, we can maybe uh, do another podcast at a later date specifically pertaining to that topic. But I would like you to discuss with me, with regards to this particular age group, the perimenopausal age group, how do we counsel patients who want to have a baby who are falling within this age group and who are at this borderline stage? How do you counsel them, Jocelyn? Well, I'm a physician who I always tell a woman, if you want to be a mother, there's many ways you can become a mother. And if you want to have a baby, there's many ways you can have a baby. As long as you have a uterus and you have ovaries, there are definitely many different ways that we can try to have a baby. Some women who are in the perimenopausal age group get pregnant on their own, natural and spontaneously. This is definitely not as common, getting pregnant during this age group, but it's still possible. Um, for patients who really want to get pregnant during this age group, and if they've been actively trying, I always refer them to a reproductive endocrine specialist because as we age, the function of our ovaries and our egg quality decreases. 
and if you are interested in becoming pregnant during this age, time is of the essence. We have to quickly try to get pregnant as, as soon as possible. And sometimes we will do actual blood tests on women to test what we call their ovarian reserve, and that's a blood test that we sometimes use as an FSH. It's the most common and kind of cheaper test that we can determine the function of somebody's ovaries and their ovarian reserve. If their level is, is low, I often tell patients that you do have somewhat of an ovarian function that's there, and if you're trying to get pregnant, using ovulation detection kits is key to finding out if you are ovulating and when you're ovulating because sometimes with perimenopausal, the ovulation is not consistent on a monthly basis. But it is definitely possible for women who are in their 40s and 50s. I just spoke to one of my friends who's a, who's a maternal fetal specialist, and they had a spontaneous conception at 50 years old for a, a woman. So it's definitely possible to get pregnant during this time. And also, if you don't want to conceive and you are in your 40s and 50s and having irregular periods, you still are likely ovulating. So if you're not on birth control and you don't want to get pregnant, you need to make sure you speak with your gynecologist or a doctor to prevent pregnancy because it's always still possible. Jocelyn, as a practicing OBGYN myself, I've had patients ask me all the time, how long do I need to still do these pap smears? So my question to you is, do women still need pap smears after menopause? And when should a doctor refer a woman to a gynecologist? I'll do the last question first. I believe that women should always be referred to a, a gynecologist if they're interested. Just because you're seeing a gynecologist every year doesn't mean you'll definitely get a pap smear every year. But someone should look in a woman's vagina every year with a speculum. And sometimes, especially with women and non-clinicians, Women may say they've gotten a pap smear, but they've actually not gotten a cervical pap smear. Someone has either looked in the vagina or done an exam, but an actual physical pap smear wasn't done. So it's very important that doctors document if the patient absolutely had a pap smear because sometimes patients can go for years and years without having a pap smear when they thought they had a pap smear. So I do believe that Every woman should see a gynecologist once a year. If they still have a cervix, the gynecologist should look at their cervix and see if they are eligible or at the appropriate time to have a pap smear. If for some reason a woman doesn't have a cervix anymore, if they had a surgery to remove their cervix, like fibroids and they had a hysterectomy and they've had normal pap smears, then pap smears are no longer indicated because they don't have a cervix and the risk for cervical cancer is low. However, their vagina should still be examined every year because cancers of the vagina, abnormalities with the ovaries can still be there. So they still need a pelvic exam yearly. And I see this way too much in my practice where I get a woman who's in her 60s who hasn't been to the gynecologist in years and no one's done anything, looked in her vagina, done a pap smear in over 10 years. So once a woman reaches 65, that's the cutoff that we as gynecologists have decided that if they've had normal pap smears and everything's been normal, they can stop having pap smears. But again, every year of a woman's life, they, someone should look and do a pelvic exam in their vagina. Jocelyn, in these final moments, is there any additional information that you would like to provide our listeners? The biggest thing is that when you're in menopause, things can be very strange. Your bleeding can be irregular, your periods are ending, your hot flashes are there, but there are signs that there could be a problem. The biggest sign is if you've gone for 12 months without having a period and believe you're in menopause and then your period comes back or you have bleeding come back, that is a sign of a problem. 
and most physicians clearly know this, and patients also need to know this, that that is a big problem, and that could be a sign of precancerous cells in the uterus or hyperplasia of the uterus. So this is a patient that if a physician, a primary care doctor sees in a patient, even if, they're, if they went through menopause in their 40s, and they're 50 and their period came back, it's not normal. I give a lot of examples, but I had friends who have had grandmothers who were going and buying pads and tampons. And they said, well, why are you 70 years old buying this? And they said, oh, my period came back. And they had come back and they hadn't told anybody for years. And that was a bad sign and this patient ended up having cancer of the uterus. So bleeding after periods has ended is not normal. Also, heavy bleeding during this time can be abnormal, so you always want to talk to your doctor, see a gynecologist to see if, they, if there's any more investigation that needs to be done, and is this just normal perimenopausal bleeding, or could something actually be problematic? Many thanks to our guest, Dr. Jocelyn Slaughter-Moore, for joining us today. Jocelyn, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. Thank you so much. I do appreciate it. I am your host, Dr. Renee Allen. To download this podcast and others in this series, please visit reachmd.com. We encourage you to like, share, and comment on this episode. Thank you for listening to ReachMD. Be a part of the knowledge.